Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Critical thinking is about knowing how to organize and understand a problem or decision and come to a conclusion. It's necessary for avoiding cognitive bias in advanced problem-solving skills and decision-making. In this episode, we're going to take a look at critical thinking, breaking it down into six steps. We'll discuss each step in detail. But before we get into that, Will, What's been critical in your life lately? Well, um, this Friday will be the start of the third quarter. So I'm doing the 12-week year. This week is kind of the planning slash deloading phase, right? So you have 12 weeks of you're executing on your goals and you're moving forward. This week, it's it's more like you, you plan the next 12 weeks. And so I've been doing a lot of that and really restructuring the way that I do it. Uh, that's one thing I've found that's been really helpful with this is like I started out and it's like you got a to-do list. And then last quarter added you know, story points to all my tasks. And that's you know part of my process now. So I can, I can see, okay, here's how much crap I got to do on this day. Is that realistic before I put it on the schedule for the week? But now I'm actually spending a lot more time planning and, and like really breaking stuff down and, and actually like writing good notes on it. And I think that's going to help me a lot because I started doing that towards the tail end of this past quarter and everything I did that on was successful. And the stuff that I didn't do it on was either not successful or a lot harder, really more partially successful than, than not successful. So I'm putting more structure around stuff and, and that's kind of where my thought process is. It is weird having a deloading week and not having Russian class this week because my teacher's moving. Yeah, I've been kind of like halfway lost without all the crap to do that I normally have. You know, other than writing a podcast episode, I've been like playing video games and it's it's really strange and it feels like I'm wasting my life. I know I'm not. I mean, it's a break is is useful, but it's awkward. So, how about you? I am having the exact opposite problem as you with the I am overloaded. I actually recently had a conversation with our creative director at church about uh, feeling pretty stretched thin. And I know she is too, because a lot of the stuff that I'm working on, she's working on as well, plus other things that I'm not involved in, but, uh, and I'm involved in stuff that she's not, but it's just, you know, like I, I know that she's taken over a lot with our previous creative director moving away. And so anyway, I, uh, I did, I had the, the conversation about, Hey, I'm, I'm getting stretched pretty thin with everything going on. So I'm going to start cutting back, which was not a bad conversation for her because I told her I was basically, you know, I'm going on the mission trip. And uh, after I get back, I'm just going to kind of cut everything except for creative out because creative is sort of where I'm called. And so I'll be doing creative and worship and that's it. And so kind of backing out of a lot of stuff like last semester, I was leading a small group on Sunday nights and going to feeding the homeless on Monday nights. And then we recorded on Tuesdays and it just made 
writing an episode really difficult because it had to be either before or after one of those two yep. things. And it just, it was just a lot. And so I was like, I can't do something Sunday and Monday night. And what I'm looking at is probably just cutting them both out and then slowly adding stuff back in. There's a lot of stuff I want to do, but I also am about to hit a season of focus where I'm really like focusing on the stuff we're doing with the podcast. And then I've been learning the synth and I'm starting to play that at church. And so I'm going to be focused on learning new songs for that and also pretty heavily focused on my role as the uh, team lead for the photographers. So, yeah. Not actually what I planned on talking about, but uh, you kind of got me got me on a different topic. Uh, the other thing I've been working on is preparing for my mission trip because I will actually be in Albania when this episode comes out. And uh, a shout out to my niece. It is going to, when this episode comes out, it's going to be her birthday. So that's kind of cool. What day is it coming out? This is coming out on the 21st. So my sister in Florida's youngest. Uh, her name is Emery. She's two. She'll be three, I guess, this year. So, yeah. So, happy birthday, Emery. Not that you're listening to the podcast, but, you know, who knows if you ever go back and listen to it at some point, you'll hear Uncle BJ saying happy birthday to you. So, that's pretty cool. Saving money is hard, especially when you are about to leave the country and have a uh, strict dress code requirements that you have to abide by. So you have to go shopping for clothes. That's what I've been doing lately. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but to take action on that plan to live your best life. Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can make your money back. In other words, you can improve your finances enough to make up for the cost. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Yeah, Level Up has a unique pricing model that is going to help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So if you're just starting out as a junior developer, or if you've been at this for 20 or so years, either one, Lucas can work with you. Trust is a really important thing. And one of the things that Lucas does that really improves your ability to trust him is that he is a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. Yeah, you guys can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics you probably face and interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their careers. You can also learn more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Used to solve complex or complicated problems, critical thinking is the ability to gather information, evaluate it, and come to a conclusion based on the evidence. No matter where you are in your career or in your life, critical thinking is a critical skill to possess that will help you move forward. Improving critical skills and critical thinking increases problem-solving ability and speed, decision-making ability, and provides for a method for dealing with complex problems. Yeah. Gaining and improving on the skill of critical thinking will help you to make better decisions 
uh, as you will have better information on which to base those decisions. It also enables you to move from passive learning to active learning. Just like any other skill, there are going to be people who have a natural talent for critical thinking. So don't let their natural ability dissuade you from improving your skill. It's one thing that I have learned in my life is that just because I'm not naturally talented at something doesn't mean I can't pick up the skill. Yeah, well, it also means that you probably, you also don't know whether you're naturally talented, right? Like you could, you could stink at the one gateway skill for the thing that you're super talented at and you'd never get there because you didn't bust through that skill. Critical thinking is a process that includes several steps. Not every decision will need to go through this process. Some problems that you have to solve in your daily work will be obvious or they'll have obvious solutions. You just have to put in the work on those. Critical thinking and the steps within it are used for the ones that are not easy or obvious. They are for problems and decisions that may not have a clear answer or may have multiple solutions that you need to filter to find the best one for your situation. So in this episode, we're going to go through the steps for critical thinking, whether you are solving a difficult problem or making a hard decision. We'll look at each step in detail, breaking it down and providing examples and discussion around it. And they they actually go in order. So um, I didn't put that in the notes, but I just thought I should add that in, is that uh, there is an order to these steps. It's not like jumping around on them. You're not going to analyze data before you have the data, if that makes sense. So... So you're not part of the media. Okay, great. <laughs> well, I never said that the media was critical thinkers. Yeah. So first step, you need to identify the problem that you're trying to actually solve. Before you start out, you need to know what you're actually trying to do. Uh, otherwise, who knows what's going to happen? You're probably not going to get the result you want because you don't actually know what the result would be if you wanted it. Yeah, I mean, with this one, one thing that I, I was thinking about, and you know, I got a great example from today. I put up a, uh, a PR and one of the other developers commented, hey, I'm getting an error. And uh, so I was like, all right, I ran the code. I'm not getting this error. Like, I'm not getting any errors. So it, was, it had to do with uh, searching by county as we were working on a, a search functionality. And so I was like, all right, well, the counties that I tried worked. Maybe there's something specific to his. So I was like, what county did you use? I tried it. And finally, I was like, hey, what is the error that you're getting? Because I'm not getting one. And so I can't work on this problem if I don't know what it is. And one of the things that you have to do with this, and this is something that uh, I have noticed, it, it comes with experience. Because I've noticed a lot of mid and senior level developers do this, but juniors tend to be the ones who struggle with this the most, is look at what is actually happening, not what should be happening. So like I've seen a lot of people, especially at the junior level, go, well, here's the code and this is what it's supposed to, to do, or this is what the code is written to do, but the code's not actually doing that. And they get caught on, well, this is what it's supposed to do. And this is the way like I wrote it to do this, so it should do it. And it's like, yeah, but what is it actually doing? 
And you want to be specific, like as specific as possible on this. Yeah. And you also need to be asking yourself what assumptions you're making. Where should it work, but it isn't? Um, and I think that that's probably a, another pretty, you know, pretty critical step there. There was a uh, discussion that I saw uh, where they were talking about fighter pilots returning from aerial combat in, I want to say it was World War II. And they were looking at the planes, figuring out where they needed to reinforce based on where the bullet holes were. Right. And you think, okay, this is, you know, this is the problem. This is the thing we're trying to solve. This is, here's the working assumption, right? Is that the ones that where the bullet holes are is, is the place we need to fix. And somebody actually questioned that and they said, no, places where the bullet holes aren't, those are the planes that didn't come back. You're making an assumption that they're all coming back. That's not a valid assumption. And it completely changed the way that they were looking at the problem and reinforced the planes. That's really critical is to question the assumptions that you think you've got. Mm-hmm. to make sure that you actually do. Yeah. And to do that, the biggest thing you need is an unbiased assessment of the situation. And if you can't do this yourself, sometimes it's it's good to have someone else come in and take a look at it. Uh, this is why we do pull requests. This is why we have separate QA and we don't QA our own code. Having someone unbiased especially someone who isn't familiar with what it's supposed to do, come in and and work with it. Because I know there are plenty of applications that I have seen, mostly older, like 15, 20-year-old applications, where things have to be done in a particular order or it doesn't work. And if you don't know that order... Yeah, you're out of luck. You're out of luck, yeah. And... You also need to be able to narrow the problem to the most likely location for that problem, right? You you know, you do want to kind of, it's not really like a binary search, but you're like, okay, where could this thing actually be versus I want to look equally everywhere. This is just good time management, if nothing else. But it's it's also just a a thing of, I know I cannot look across the entire application for a problem and actually look at any depth. So if I can look at just a couple of areas, I can actually dig. Yeah, but... That makes sense. I'll, I'll just give a good breakdown of this. But the way I typically do it is I'll start off with, okay, is this a front-end or a back-end issue? So, like, we're using Swagger right now, which is so nice. It's a lot. It's a little bit easier than working with Postman. So I'll just go to the Swagger and be like, all right, is the API actually returning what I'm expecting it to return? And if it's not, then I go look in the API and get that fixed before looking at the UI. If it's like, okay, what is going in and coming out of the API, is it's working, then I'll start looking at the UI. And then I'll go, you know, I'll break it down even further and figure out, okay, is it a service? Is it a component? Like, you know, because we're doing Angular, so. But break it down and go, okay, where where is this the issue? And so you slowly narrow that down. Like you said, it's kind of, it is kind of like a binary search when you're going through it. Yeah. And the other thing that's really important is to actually know your biases. Well, actually, so that's step two. That's not part of identifying the problem. So let's, let's clarify that. Yeah. It sounded like, oh, the next thing in this. Yeah. So it, it, I mean, it, it is step two, but it's like, it just flows naturally from step one it's a clean process and it's hopefully uh, how we keep our civilization working in general. Um, well, yeah. yeah. Right. And you need, you need to know your biases, right? Like assumptions are the enemy of critical thinking. Once you filtered the data, 
you need to first identify any assumptions that you actually have about the problem. And I'll give you a good example. I am biased towards not messing with CSS. Like if an element is not visible, my assumption is the code did it. There's an API problem. There's some kind of weird binding crap that's Angular specific or, you know, there's a data issue. Like the last place I'll ever look is the CSS. And I know that. And now I know how to prank you. Right. Like that's terrible. But that's an assumption I have. I'm like, well, that's probably not screwed up because other people on the team actually don't stink at it. Right. And so I I assume that that's the case. It's like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean they didn't screw up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. So I mentioned it in the the teaser at the beginning of the episode, but uh, cognitive bias. So what is it? These are unconscious mental shortcuts that we kind of develop and employ to help simplify problems. Well, honestly, my way of breaking things down is a bit of a cognitive bias of, all right, is it the API or the UI? And having these biases is not, doesn't, isn't a bad thing. It's knowing that you have them that's important. Yeah, I mean, well, they're a shortcut, right? Yeah. is a shortcut because it mostly works. Yeah, and, and, and for example, like most of the time, it's something either on the UI or the API side. Every now and then, it's something on the server or it's something in the connection between the two that's not really on one or the other. And I know, hey, I've got this cognitive bias to break things down this way. So if I don't find it on one or the other, I don't freak out. I go, all right, my cognitive bias is to assume it's one of these two. Let's now step back even further. And cuss at the caching server. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Because that is my next step. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a a little bit of distance will actually help reduce your bias. Like when you can actually step back, like, you know, like you were saying. And the other thing is actually listing your assumptions. And, Verbally, I've found this helps a lot when I'm explaining it to somebody else. It's another pair of eyes. I'm like, okay, here's what I assumed. Here's what I did. I had a conversation like that today and found out that something did not work the way I thought it did um, in the AWS CDK. And the other guy was like, no, that's not what it it does. Why do you think that? And I was like, well, here's the reason I thought. He goes, that's logical, but it's completely wrong. Because if you want to do it that way, it's, it's this other thing. But, you know, the fact that I listed those biases out, let somebody go, that's the wrong one because they don't have the same set. Yeah, it, it kind of uh, reminds me of that uh, person we know who um, was dead certain that there was multiple inheritance in C Sharp. Man, I had a conversation with him on Facebook yesterday. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it's it, that, that's a cognitive bias. I, I also remember back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when people didn't get as upset if you disagreed with them. Uh, and I'm not going there, but I'm just going to say that happens a lot, no matter what side of the politics you're on. But I used to regularly hang out with people who vastly disagreed with me. And it was fun. It was. We, we would go back and forth. But a lot of times, most of our disagreements had to do with terminology. Yeah. And the assumptions. Like you assume a word means something. Right. 
And it doesn't mean the same thing to the other person, which is something you pick up in language learning a lot too, right? Because like there's, you translate a word and it's like, well, that doesn't, that means kind of like that, but it's not a direct hit. Yeah. Yeah. In spatial terms, which is also an assumption. It is safe to assume that, uh, speaking of assumptions, that you have unknown assumptions when going forward with this process. Like that is an assumption you should make. Assume that you're making assumptions you're on, you don't even know about that you're second order ignorant of, especially as a group. Like it's very easy to get into this uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. So the next step is to collect information, data, opinions, etc. Depending on like what you're doing, some things you don't really want to get opinions on. Some things you do, like you know does this color look good on me? That's more of an opinion than a data thing. Yeah. Well, and I'll also say like, if it's a data thing, a lot of times one thing I've found really helpful is to get the extreme opinions. Yeah. And then try to refute them because that's data. That is true. That is true. You know, at this point, you know, the general area of the problem, basically what it's not doing that it should, or what it should be doing that it isn't. It goes back to the, duct tape or WD-40. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking when I wrote this was duct tape or WD-40. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Southernisms, if I can explain since, you know, give you a little hillbilly logic here. Okay, so if something should move and it doesn't move, you use WD-40. If it shouldn't move and it does move, you use duct tape. And if it moves on its own, you salute it. <laughs> it was the way that I was, that was explained yep. to me by my, my grandfather who was in the army. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's good. I hadn't, I hadn't heard the, the salute it part, but I like it. He may have added that. That sounds like something that the army added. Like I, you probably pulled that from the army. I mean, there's, there's some characters in my family too. So it's, it's a toss up. If you hear something come out of me that's not right, like I'm assuming it's the thing, but it may be adulterated with other thought processes. Right. So at this point, basically you are, you know where the problem is. You know what the problem is. Now you need to learn as much as you possibly can about the problem. Or if it's not a problem, if it's a decision, as much as you possibly can about the options that you have. And you need to collect information from as many resources as you can. So unit tests, QA, users, historical data. Also be aware of how your biases will make you pick certain data sources over others and be careful about that, right? Because you can skew this whole whole thing right here with a badly placed assumption. Yeah. This is the time where you might want to ask other team members their thoughts on the problem or the decision, uh, especially if it's something you're not familiar with. So if it's an area of code that you haven't really worked in that much, or let's say you're the on-call developer and it's an application that you've never touched, this is where you you reach out to someone who knows a little bit better and say, hey, what's been going on with this before? Is Has there ever been anything like this before? A lot of times they'll be able to point you to hopefully documentation but at least be like, oh, yeah, we ran into this problem before and you can talk to this person because they're the one who solved it. 
uh, as an aside, uh, an interesting party trick here is if you've got junior developers who don't know a system and you do, and you're trying to troubleshoot some difficult problem, teach them right now because that will make you express things in a way and you'll, you'll get halfway through explaining something. You'll be like, Oh crap. That's what it is. Yeah. Just as an aside, completely out, outside the outline, but I've used this to great effect uh, quite a few times because I'm kind of dumb until I start explaining things to people. And then for some reason I can explain it to myself and it makes sense in a way that it didn't in my head. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's the whole concept of rubber ducking. I mean, I literally have a duck right in front of me. So, yeah. Now, the more varied information that you can obtain, the more accurate your assessment of the situation will be. So, like, if you're just looking at logs and you're not, like, looking at your error channel and you're not looking at code, you're going to have one bias. You're going to be like, okay, well, here's the problem because here's what I see in the logs. They're never complete, right? Like, it's like that scene in um, Attack of the Clones where, like, Obi-Wan's like, oh, have you heard of this, you know, this planet? And they're like, oh, it's not there. Well, if it's not in our library, it doesn't exist. You're going to have that kind of bias. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous in a production environment. You don't want to do that. Lost a planet. Master Obi-Wan has. How embarrassing. I can't do Yoda voice, but, you know. I do, <laughs> I do remember the line. Yeah. Um, that, can, that made all the kids giggle. So, Next is determining which pieces of information are relevant and accurate. So in our previous step, we were just collecting everything. We wanted to get all the information in. We like just get as much information as we could. So before you can really analyze the data you've collected, you have to determine if it is going to be relevant to the problem that you're solving. You might have gotten a lot of information that doesn't even apply to what's going on. Yeah, and don't throw it out necessarily either because... The other fun thing that happens is sometimes the problem moves Mm -hmm. and you change your perception of where it starts and you have to loop back where you've already got the data, keep it. But you're also going to see stuff where like there's outliers in the data. You know, some of it may not relate to the particular problem that you're facing. Spend time determining which pieces of data are actually going to help you solve the problem and and get those into one place where you look at them together without the other crap. Right. So, once you you started doing that, you've gotten like gotten rid of the outliers, the ones that aren't really related to what's going on, and you just got that going through each piece of information and asking how reliable is this information? Um, yeah, that's critically important because none of it is one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You want to determine, hey, is this an opinion, or is this an objective fact, or is it somewhere in between? Yeah, and most things are in there. I say it's not a binary; it's a spectrum. And I'll I'll add that with the log statements type stuff, you will see stuff where it's like, "Oh, this thing went wrong," and therefore here's the problem. And dude, that's just some programmer's opinion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it threw a null reference exception. Yes, there was something null that was expected not to be null. And if you caught that and you read through it and you said, "Okay, this is something else," you might be right. You might not. Like, mm-hmm. don't necessarily trust the other programmer to have that right, especially if it was you. Now, on that same note, though, just because it's an opinion doesn't mean that it's not important information. Because it may be on, I'll use that same example. Let's say they, they're like, here's the, here's the error. If it's worded, here's the error, this is what caused it. Uh, you know, question the 
specificity there, but look at that anyway, because if it was worded, this is the error. Here's what most likely caused it because this has been a regular problem before. Like, okay, that sounds more valid. Just remember, not everybody speaks that way. So you might have people who are like, this is the error and this is why. When what they mean is this is the error and here's the most likely cause. So just because it's an opinion doesn't mean it's not important. It just changes the way you treat it. And you also need to ask about the significance of the information, right? So like, you know, again, back to the log thing, you will see crap in your logs, especially if the developers are not aggressive getting rid of it. That looks like it's it's important data. It's like, oh, there's a null reference exception. Well, it's like, okay, why is there a null reference exception? Well, it's a cache miss. Nobody cares. It hits the database and you get the, the value and it goes on, you know, because you get some kind of retry policy. And if that's in your logs, that will point you to the wrong thing, even though, you know, you think you're looking at the right information. So be really careful about how significant something actually is because it really may not be. Yeah. You want to determine if it actually applies to the problem. Information may be accurate and reliable, but completely insignificant in the context of what you are trying to solve. So it it might actually be significant information, like the logs might actually be legitimately significant information if you're trying to solve a different problem. Right. I heard an anecdotal story from a company that had a subsidiary in the Philippines. Right. and. Obviously, English is not the primary language for a, a big subset of the users. And so they thought they had an encoding problem uh, with some stuff that was going on. And it was, it was showing up in logs and they're like, okay, this is what's going on. It's an encoding problem. Well, what actually was happening was happening off hours for the U.S. contingent. It was a date-time related issue that was presenting itself looking like an encoding problem because most of the users from the place with a different language were on at a different time of night. And so you do have to be careful, like make sure you're actually looking at the problem you think you're looking at. And and this again goes back to our assumptions discussion, because when you heard that story, did you have the assumption that, oh, it's an encoding issue versus, oh, hey, that's the other side of the planet. Maybe it's daytime. So the next step is the evaluation and analysis of the data. You know, once you've kind of trimmed it down to something you can actually work with, what do you do with it? Given that you have the relevant pieces, Now it's time to actually analyze it. And to analyze something means to break it down. Mm -hmm. So you want to start off by looking for patterns in the data that you already have. Look to see if, for example, the problem only occurs under certain circumstances. So I I made reference to the issue that was going on earlier. And so I'll tell you guys what the the resolution to it was because it's going to make y'all laugh so hard. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, so I'm like trying to gather data and I don't have any data and ask the, the other developer and he, he gives me some data. And so I'm like, I'm analyzing it. And like, basically he was telling me that, hey, it's not passing back the ID for the county. It's passing back the name for the county. Like I looked at the code. I'm like, oh no, it's, it says it's passing that, like that back in the search. And then I was like, that, it's getting it whatever is coming from the, the API because we populate our dropdown from a, from a table. And so I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, what county are you you looking at? And so he he told me, and I went and it worked just fine for me. 
So I looked at the query string that was being passed over to the search and uh, it was passing the, the ID. And so I'm like, hmm. Like, it's working for me just fine, but it's not working for him. And we're both running it locally. It's not like, oh, hey, it's working on the server. But you know, it's like, what could be the possible difference? And then it hit me. When I made up my mock data, I didn't know the the county ID, so I just like threw in some random junk in there. And I was like, hey, when you look at the county dropdown, how many counties do you see? And he was like, well, I only see like three or four of them. I'm like, yeah. When was the last time you pulled the code down? <laughs> Yeah. See, I was going to, I thought for a minute there, you're going to be like, and then we found out that there was a JSON ignore on the ID column and it's not actually being sent, even though it looks like it is. Yeah. No, no. He had the old code. Like the last thing I did was connect it to the, uh, the API. And so he still had that old code and it was just like, he's like, oh my goodness, I feel so dumb. I'm like, don't feel bad. We've all made that kind of mistake before. Like recently. I'm not going to say how recent, but yeah, we've all made that mistake before. But yeah, it it happens. But it was it was like, you know, analyzing the information that I did have. And I, I looked for a pattern to see, like, why is it only occurring? First, I was looking at, well, maybe there's something wrong with this particular county. But then that county worked for me. And I'm like, all right, I narrowed it down. It's you. Yeah. Like something's wrong with your machine. And honestly, you know, in the state of Tennessee, there's only something wrong with one county. And that's Shelby. Grundy, come on, man. Hey, those are some of my people. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, you're talking about like looking for a pattern to the problem. If you can't find a pattern, that's also data. A lack of consistency in a problem is also really useful because this can be things like race conditions, connection issues, caching issues, mm-hmm. or like workflow issues where it's like, yeah, if you come into it from this other weird screen because it crammed something in local storage or something. And then you pasted the URL up there and it, it keeps the thing and it's wrong. Yeah. You know, that's a tell, right? That tells you that something is off. If it's, if it's not consistently doing something like there's some other factor that you do not have yet. Yeah. Also look at your historical and experiential data to see if similar problems have happened before. This is goes back to asking your your team members about that or, or other people associated with it. They may have faced this before. I know this has been a while, but I had some junior developers I was working with, and uh, they spent probably about four or five hours on a problem, and just they were just stuck. They called me up, they had me look at it, and I saw immediately what the problem was because I had spent three days on it the first time I saw the problem. And I'm like, I am never going to suffer like that again. I will remember this the rest of my life. Yeah. And so I I told them and they're like, you're so smart. I'm like, no, I spent three days on it because I didn't have someone I could call and ask for help on that one. Yeah. It's like the, the phrase I've used with people before, you know, life is suffering, but internalization of suffering is learning. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something, Princess. Well, that too. Uh, I'm just quoting Princess Bride to you, but you know. 
I think it was life is pain is what he said, but you know, it's not suffering. They use shorter words because it's for kids. (laughs) So guys, the last step, once you've done all of the others, you, you know what the problem is. You've collected your data, you've filtered it, you've analyzed it. Now comes reaching a decision or a solution to the problem. In order to reach the best conclusion, you got to draw connections between cause and effect. I mean, that's what I had to do with this one because it was such a weird, like, why is it getting this, you know? Um, and uh, just drawing that, that conclusion of, hang on, wait, you said it's passing in that? That's not the, an issue with the code. That's just an issue with not the newest code. <laughs> right. But yeah. So like the, the big thing is like being able to draw those connections. And sometimes you have to just write it out. Love whiteboards for this because you can really see the connections with that a lot. Yeah, well, sometimes too, like you'll actually break it down like where you've got a, a set of inputs and a set of outputs mm-hmm. and how those correlate and just putting that crap in Excel and and looking yeah. at it and going, oh, hey, when it's when these two things are true, it's always wrong. I said like a truth table. Yeah, it, it, or a Carnot map type, yeah. type structure. Like I use that all the time. I still don't. And somebody actually sent us a message telling me what it is and I've forgotten it again. So... I mean, I'll go back. I'm going to go look at the Slack channel because they sent it to me. And I don't know why it's not sticking, but you got to learn to do that. And you use the information you collected to see what increases the problem or what actually alleviates it. Because you're going to have some cases that are going to make the problem go away. That's it's very, very telling. From here, you want to narrow the issue down through repeating the process to gather the information until you know exactly what's going on you know exactly what causes it and what alleviates it in as many situations as you can. So you want to get as specific as you can because then you're going to go back to general and then you're going to take that specific information and generalize it and to go, okay, here's the solution that's going to work. Yeah, and for a lot of problems, there are multiple solutions and you're going to need to determine which one works best for you in your current situation. Not in all situations, but the one you're looking at right now. One thing I will say that we have in tech is we have a bias to go, I'm going to fix this problem for all time. A lot of times you don't need to fix it for all time. You need to fix it right now and then come back to it and do the real fix. And that is the valid solution. Probably 90% of the time is triage the thing so that you can survive and then fix it. And you know, if you're not the sole decision maker, like for example, the meeting I was in today, which we talked about last week. We're recording two episodes because I'm going to be out of town. So, But uh, I forgot that we talked about that in the previous episode. But the the meeting that I, we talked about in the previous episode where I was uh, learning about that whiteboarding technology, I'm not the person who's going to decide whether or not we're going to buy it. So I'm going to have to pass that information on up. So you're going to need to present your solution to the person or the people who make those decisions. Sometimes it's, hey, here's the best way of doing it. And you got to present that to your product owner and your stakeholders and go, hey, is this the way you want to go? Here's the other options, but uh, this is the preferred solution. And that, that's definitely something you want to do. You are the expert. And so you're giving your expert opinion. Hey, here, I've done the research. I've put the effort into it. Here is the best 
possible solution. Here's the one that I recommend. That doesn't mean they're going to go with it. I've had plenty of times where I've recommended something and they went a different direction. And then he giggled six months later. Yeah. One other thing uh, in this too is, is you need to make sure that a decision gets made, right? Like you may not be the one making it, but it needs to get to a point where it's like, okay, either we decide this doesn't matter. We decide to fix it with my recommendations. We decide to fix it with some other recommendations, right? Or something happens where it's not, oh, you didn't do the thing. It's like, okay, this is the point where you transition your responsibility off to the next person, but you make sure that that bag is not on your back. So guys, there is rarely a cut and dry solution to a problem. Critical thinking is a skill set that you use to help determine not only the solutions, but to find the one that works best for you in your situation, whether that be code related, your personal life, or dealing with coworkers and office politics. Once you've used these steps to solve a problem or make a decision, then you'll need to evaluate your solution. Ask yourself, what did you learn from this? And how can that help the next time you have a similar problem or a similar decision? The idea here is to use the critical thinking that you've already done to help yourself beyond just the one issue and for future problems and decisions. Well, that pretty much wraps us up. We'll catch you guys next week. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.